This is Dennis Rundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters Talk, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today on the show, author Karen Railsford. She is the author of Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine Wherever You Are. Uh, she's a native of New York and a Yale graduate. She is a licensed spiritual practitioner with the Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles. She's also worked with a number of publications like Newsweek, Elm, People, In Touch, and E Entertainment, covering arts, culture, and Hollywood fashion, beauty, and human interest. Karen, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today. Thank you for having me. Karen, let's begin. Um, we'll, we want to talk about your, your new book, but uh, let's begin with uh, your own spiritual history. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you had a journalist, a career as a journalist. Uh, you're uh, affiliated with Agape. I want to ask you about that. But tell us a little bit about your own spiritual background, how you came to the work you do. Certainly. Um, well, I, I guess I like to say that my spiritual history begins in utero. I was, I was born to um, a very devout um, mother. And... Um, attended a Baptist church from the time I was about eight or nine, which was shortly after my maternal mother passed away. It had been um, my grandmother's wish that we would attend Sunday school. So my mother dutifully took us to Sunday school. And so I grew up in this small Baptist church in the South Bronx. It still exists. Wow. For Baptist church. My sister is on the board of trustees. Um, but as I grew and evolved, I moved away from the Baptist thinking. I, I knew somehow that I resonated with something um, that was indwelling, but it wasn't a, and it wasn't a kind of Santa Claus figure in the sky. I knew somehow that um, I wanted to be closer to God. So that was always my New Year's resolution to be closer to God. And I think what really um, catapulted me and led me on this search was the mother of a dear friend of mine. She was so sweet and kind. And I met her when I was in sixth grade, when I moved from my local public school to um, really a girl's school in Manhattan. And I just knew that there was no way that this woman was going to hell. She was an, an atheist. <laughs> and I just knew <laughs> instinctively, oh. intuitively, that there couldn't be a God that would send her to hell. So that kind of led me on my search. Um, and then in college, I attended a Black Church at Yale, which was a really wonderful place in terms of the music and the singing and the coming together. Um, but I still mm -hmm. felt I wasn't quite quite where I wanted to be. And then... Um, I stopped going to church altogether. I remember my mother saying to me that, you know, it was really important to keep searching. And so I did. And I ended up at Agape one Sunday morning after it was recommended to me by an acupuncturist. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I if it was like, my wife. I wonder. Um, <laughs> it was really, it was so, um, it was so interesting for me because on the acupuncturist table um, and I, I write about this, I believe, in my introduction. I had this experience in which 
I could tell that the acupuncturist, when she put the needles in me, that something more was happening. And it felt the way um, things seemed to appear to me when I was growing up in this Baptist church. I felt this, for lack of a better word, this is the expressions we would use in um, in my Baptist church. And as someone once said to me, well, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So in my Baptist church, um, people would be filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Presence. So I had that feeling and that sensation, which I've always wanted to experience while I was on the acupuncturist table. So that I, so I knew that there was a connection between spirit and the energy moving. So I went to Agape and that first um, morning, I felt at home. Mm. I really felt at home. There was Reverend Michael Beckwith speaking, using some of the intonations of the fiery Baptist minister, but saying very different words. And it all came together for me right there. How long ago was that? For our listeners, uh, we have had Michael Beckwith on, Reverend yes, Michael Beckwith. And uh, uh, many are familiar with Agape, the church in, in Los Angeles. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about it, uh, for, for, especially for our listeners who are unfamiliar with it. Mm -hmm. Yes, Agape is a new thought spiritual center. We use that word spiritual center. And the um, basic premise and uh, belief is that God is indwelling and that we are here, as we say um, and announce every week, simply here for God. Simply put, we are here for God. So we're here to be a vehicle for this divine expression. This divine expression expresses through each and every single one of us. There's no one better or less than, whether you're black or white, gay or straight, you are it. You are the I am presence in divine expression. Also, there's nothing lacking, that we have everything that we need, that it's all within. Um, Karen, I know that, you know, having uh, been to Agape many times myself and having uh spoken with Michael, Reverend Michael, many times. Um, I know that uh, in my personal work, uh, I try to avoid the G word, but mm. you, because <laughs> it's so you know, confusing, <laughs> but you use it. And I know that it's used at Agape, and I'm sure you, it, when you use it differently from when other people say God or what many people say God. So perhaps you would offer us what you mm -hmm. mean by the word God. Yes, yes, yes. Um, as I write in my introduction, you know, God is my go-to. That's a succinct word for me that doesn't have a charge on it. But I know that so many people do have a charge on it because they might envision, you know, the man in the sky, the Santa Claus figure, or it's a source of um, pain for them. If, for instance, they weren't as welcome as they might have been otherwise in a spiritual center or a church when they were growing up. So um, I define God as um, the presence, whether you call it the universe or divine intelligence or beauty, love. I think it's an energy. It's not a person. It's not a man. Um, I think it's this innate um, energy that infuses everything. Um, we call it isness or um, divine intelligence, as I said, the supreme life force. Um, some people like to use the word source. Um, so I think whatever you call it, it really doesn't matter if you don't have a charge on a particular word. But I, I just believe in calling it 
<laughs> or, okay. or um, being open to it, expressing. Mm. Karen, uh, the title of your book, uh, Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine Wherever You Are. Sacred Landscapes, what, what do you, how, how would you define that? What do you mean, mean by it, sacred landscapes? Mm. Well, um, I define a landscape as that place where one um, might find oneself in any given moment in one's mm -hmm. life. So I have um, written some 111 passages, and I divide them up into landscapes, nine different landscapes. There's the landscape of the forest when one is confused or feels trapped. There's the landscape of the riverbank wherein one might be tempted to jump in, to leap into life, to take a risk. There is the landscape of the mountaintop consciousness, as I call it, in which one has a view of what's possible. One sees off in the distance what's possible and feels a sense of um, security and support, knowing that indeed this source or this divine intelligence is, is really um, propelling one's life. Or there might be the there's the landscape of the garden in which one is feeling creative and knows that you're ready to come forth and bring forth your greatest gifts. You're ready to create. So I've um, defined these different landscapes to, I suppose, um, offer a journey, one's life's journey, showing these different terrains that one might find oneself in in any given point of one's life. And the point, I suppose, is that wherever one is, whether you're feeling frustrated or confined or afraid or feeling supported and enthusiastic and optimistic, that you can align with the divine. That's another word for God, by the way, <laughs> the divine. <laughs> the idea that wherever you are, that there is this innate presence that is there with you, that is there mm -hmm. supporting you, this life force. So I'm looking at the um, structure of the book, which is it's a beautifully designed book with a lot of uh, 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 f photographic work in addition to the text. Um, and I see there are 111 short uh, passages or what you what has been called meditations that you composed and mm -hmm. uh in nine landscapes and three different terrains. So what are the terrains? Sure. The terrains are, there are three different terrains. Um, the first terrain is the terrain of um, confinement. And within those landscapes, within that terrain, there are the landscapes of the forest, the plateau, and the tundra. Um, the second terrain is the terrain of um, gestation. And within that particular terrain, there are the landscapes of the valley, the riverbank, and the garden. So those particular uh, landscapes um, speak to creativity, speak to burgeoning, speak to possibility. And the final ter uh, terrain is the terrain of expansion, the landscapes of the ocean, mountaintop, and vastness. Huh. And so the idea is that... Um, one doesn't necessarily go from start off in the landscape of confinement and then, you know, kind of like 
keep continuing on till you reach aha, you know, the mountaintop and vastness. But the idea is that depending on where we are in our lives, or maybe even in a given day, we might find ourselves feeling confined, or we might feel ourselves ready to birth something, or we might feel that, aha, Eureka, I've got it. I feel one with life, i.e. the ocean, or I might feel that I am completely surrendered. I'm completely supported. I know that I'm not doing anything that I do of all my own accord or sheer will, but that there is something loving me and guiding me always. Well, we're all three uh, born and bred in the New York area. So I know that in the South Bronx, you've probably had all these landscapes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. The urban urban version of the landscape. I love the idea of landscapes because it's so visual for most people. And I think most people can relate to the idea of what, you know, what a plateau might look like or garden feels like. So it's, it's a very sensory um, uh, concept. And as you mentioned, um, it's a very beautiful book. I love the design. Shout out to my publisher, Nancy Cleary and Wyatt McKenzie, because they did such a beautiful job of um, demonstrating and showing and revealing. So the idea is that, yes, my words are contained within this book, um, mm-hmm. spirit's words are contained within this book. Did I mention that's another God word yeah, for spirit? <laughs> I use that one a lot as well. Spirit and I guess God and um, the divine. And so, um, but also I just think that the design is so important because I think this book is a book that you want to pick up and feel it in your hand so that you can feel it in your heart. And when you see the colors and the, and the backdrops of these gorgeous photographs that you feel, um, this very tactile sense of the presence. That's That was my intention. And I am happy to say that I think that um, the design reveals that. Very good. Uh, I have to ask you, Karen, uh, Phil mentioned it just now. I didn't know that, but you were from the Bronx. Phil's from Brooklyn. I grew up, I was born in Jersey City, grew up right across the river. Oh, you know, and I'm, I'm just wondering for you, when you went from the Bronx to, I don't know if Yale was the first place you went to school or Went away to school. Uh, did you find the spiritual perspective of the people you encountered when you went away uh, significantly different or the same, or uh, from, from what you experienced uh, when uh, you, you know growing up in the Bronx? Because certainly for me, when I moved out of that, you know, not for better or worse, it was just uh, it was uh, 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 mind expanding, or uh, it gave me many perspectives, I guess. But I'm just wondering your experience. Mm, that's a good question. Well, as I said, I guess the first leap for me was to go from um, this public school to this private school in, in um, Manhattan. That, And that was certainly a, a leap in terms of my spirituality and being open to that there are people who just didn't believe in anything. Right. But again, um, in terms of the geography, certainly coming to Los Angeles was, was a tremendous um, leap in terms of the terrain, uh, the inner terrain, right. in terms of this idea of going to, uh, at the time, Agape, um, you know, ascribed uh, to science of mind. You know, it was a religious science spiritual center. Um, and so these principles and these ideas um, were very new to me, I thought, initially. But then I remembered how I had studied Thoreau and 
and um, and um, other transcendentalists. And so I realized that actually my life had been a bridge to this, that my life had actually been moving me in this direction. I know that people on the East Coast tend to think of um, Los Angelinos as um, woo-woo, <laughs> you know, and new age. Sometimes I become maybe a little too defensive when I hear the the phrase new age. I'm always quick yeah. to say, well, actually, agape is a new thought spiritual center, and that's very different. And new thought was not born in the 70s, but, you know, at the turn of the century, in the last century. So, um, and so um, yes, you know, L.A., I think, is certainly, and California in general, is certainly much more open to these kinds of thoughts, at least it was at one point. I know that, of course, there are, you know, unity churches and um, churches that are in alignment with what Agape thinks and, um, and, and believes and, and other churches and this, of course, they exist on the East Coast, but certainly I feel that they must have, they must have just grown really, you know, a little more uh, free wielding here. <laughs> On it's, the West Coast. And maybe that's because of the sky and the mountains. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always been that way. I've discovered, you know, people were saying that about LA in the nineteen twenties as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you uh your affiliation with Agape extends to having become a licensed spiritual practitioner. Um what is that uh, it, for our audience? What does it mean to be a licensed spiritual practitioner? And what does it mean with respect to working with individuals? Yes. Um, so, yes, I became a licensed spiritual practitioner in 2009 after a four-year um, preparatory course work of taking the prerequisites to enter um, practitioner training, which lasts two years. So it was two years of courses and two years of actual um, training to be a practitioner. And to be a practitioner means to practice the presence. I noticed um, more recently that Reverend Michael has taken to using uh, the languaging spiritual therapist. I think Mm. that perhaps... um, lay folk tend to understand what that means a little bit more. Um, so to, as a practitioner, we are practicing the presence. And the idea is that when I am having a session with a client, that I am there to hold the space. I'm not there to fix the individual, to even see that there is anything wrong, because there isn't anything wrong. The idea is that um, the person across from me has everything that he or she needs, that they are God in full expression. Oops, excuse me. Spirit in full expression. (laughs) The divine (laughs) divine in full expression. Um, And so I am there to just hold the space, to be this presence of love, of unconditional love, so that they um, are gently guided to come to this realization of, of who, and as we like to say, who and whose they are that they are fully endowed of the spirit, that there is nothing lacking, that um, they have all of the necessary tools and the brilliance and the radiance and the intuition to determine um, what it is they might uh, be wanting to understand about themselves or their lives. Um, the idea is that no matter you know, who you were born to, you know, what happened to you, that you are fully engendered 
of the spirit. And as such, you can do, be whatever it is you want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, Karen, you. Uh, you, again, your book, uh, Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine, wherever you are. And we'll have all the information about the book and how to obtain the book uh, posted up on our website. Um, how should uh, the reader approach the book? What, what should one expect to get from the book? Mm. Comfort, solace, encouragement, a sense that, ah, yes, um, whatever is happening in the world, whatever is happening in my own life, that indeed I can know that something good is happening. Great. Karen, um, we're recording this in the middle of August 2020 with the pandemic still uh, raging around us. Um, I too have a new book out and I, uh, that has similar intentions to yours. Mm. Um, because it's called Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. And everybody's congratulating me on my brilliant timing. But, <laughs> but of course I wrote it last year. Um, are you facing the same thing? Your, your book is coming out at a time when people need uh, it, the comfort and the solace and the inspiration that you provide in, in the uh, context of your 111 uh, uh, passages. Um, but I assume you, you did not write it during the pandemic because it takes, <laughs> it takes time. Um, so what drove you to write it even when things were, you know, not quite as crazy as they are now? Hmm. Well, can I just say that I think that, that the evidence of this, this book and your book coming out, uh, coming out when they, when they have come out is a testament to the, to, to the fact that there is something greater than, than what we can see <laughs> or hear or touch, that there is something divine happening and that I guess you and I are aligned with it. But, um, I would also <laughs> say that, um, I started some of these pieces I wrote as long as 10 years ago. Um, and so I would write um, these pieces. Some of them um, appeared in an agape publication called Inner Visions. So it was my intention to write from my heart, to write from my soul, to, um, but also to write to myself. A number of the pieces, if not all of the pieces, actually, I can actually remember where I was in that moment, whether I was feeling frustrated about something or delighted about something. So the book was probably written as a way for me to minister to my own soul, for spirit to minister to my own soul. And the timing of it, I don't think there are any uh, accidents. I think that something guided me, guided the publisher, guided my agent in terms of bringing this book at this time. And so I'm so grateful to be used this way to be used as a vehicle to bring forth this book at this time because I don't think anyone could have imagined we'd be where we are right now. I certainly didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, not even you know March you know first. You know, I mean, as we were approaching everything that that has kind of exploded um, in our in our in our universe and in civilization right here right now. But um, I think it's I again think it's just a testament to like oh yes that thing I call God it's real. <laughs> and it knows that it knows that it knows and I know that I'm that when I yield to it um 
when I listen to that still small voice and I, you know, I'm dutiful about writing when I want to write, uh, writing when it wants me to write, that um, miraculous things happen like this book. So I'm really grateful for that. Uh, Karen, <clears throat> I want to thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Phil now. And uh, but again, for, for our listeners, Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine, wherever you are, the book, get it, read it. And uh, uh, Karen, uh, thank you so very much. Uh, Phil, uh, you can take it. I will you. continue. I know you had to leave early. So uh, go ahead and take care of business. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Karen, um, yes. one of the uh, joys of uh, going to Agape at when I used to go on a fairly regular basis was, um, well, there were several things. One was the music and the spirit mm -hmm. of the place. And one, another thing was um, how uh, refreshing and just inspiring it was just to be in a room with a couple thousand people or however many, uh, that diverse, that multiracial, that multi-ethnic, even multi-religious. And um, I wonder if you'd comment on that because, uh, you know, there are not, it's said very often that Sunday mornings is the most segregated time in America because churches uh, tend to be, you know, very uh, racially mm -hmm. segregated. Agape being a, 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 a great exception to that rule. Um, I wonder if that's one of the appeals to you as well. And the other question is, in this time of pandemic, people must miss it a great deal. Mm, mm. Now, that's a very good point about Sunday mornings in America. And um, certainly that was one of the, the uh, greatest appeals when I first got to Agape, that you could look around and see people of different races and of different sexual orientations. Um, it's amazing. And really, it's a picture of what this world is, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the in the larger, uh, broader sense. And so it's it's realistic. It's it's, it's true right. in expression. Um, and so it was always, of course, gratifying to to get there and see these smiling faces, you know, of, of, of different peoples. And so now um, what's interesting is that in many ways, Agape was prepared for this moment. We, we definitely feel we were prepared for this moment in time because um, we had already been offering services online. And so of course, everything has moved online. I started working um, on staff at Agape only in February, which oh. also I think is interesting. Somehow I was Call to Agape just before the pandemic. Um, and so I am the coordinator for the um, One from the Heart Ministry, which is administered by, um, run by Reverend Coco Stewart. And so we are the pastoral care arm of, of the spiritual center. And so since the pandemic, we have launched uh, a crisis support clinic on Zoom, um, a bereavement support clinic on uh, support group on Zoom, and so many other offerings. And so it's fascinating to see how in so many ways that we are reaching a broader scope of people around the world. There are people who take courses at the university. Mm. Um, 
um, from around the world. They get up in the middle of the night to take a two-hour class. Um, and indeed, I should point out, there is a university. So um, in so many ways, our reach is even bigger. Yes, we don't have the tactile um, physicality of it all, but spirit isn't just physical now, is it? <laughs> you think about it, it makes sense that the idea that this presence is everywhere present and it's invisible and it shows up as, as our very lives that, um, of course, there's a, a connection and a connectivity and, um, and just a, a oneness that happens. I think whether you're on Zoom or you're in person, I, I'm more open to that connection and maybe that's because um, because of, we talked again about moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, but I have dear friends whom I haven't seen in years whether because they live on the other side of the planet or we've just lost touch, and I still feel very connected to those individuals. I have soul sisters that I've only met in recent years, and maybe we've only seen each other in person three times, even less than that, and yet my soul and my heart resonates with, with, with these beings. So mm. I think that, um, that in being online this way, and connecting with people that's where you can still catch it. You can still catch the connection. You can catch the oneness, the serenity, the the spirit. Every single Sunday, Reverend Michael is delivering a message that is just coming straight from source. And it's infectious. And it's uh, much needed right now. Karen, in your pastoral work, um, how is it different now Is with the understanding that it's different because it's, it's being done remotely instead of in person. But how is it, the tone of it, what are, are people's concerns markedly different now? Are the issues that you are helping them with uh, uh, noticeably different from before the pandemic? Is there more anger, especially, you know, in the, with the election coming up? Is there more grief? What, what are the uh, characteristics of uh, the moment as you see it in your pastoral work? Hmm. I think different people are feeling different things in this moment, but it, in so many ways, I think that um, everything is exacerbated. So mm -hmm. um, if, you know, if it was, if your thing was the fear, that fear might be exacerbated right now. If it was grief, um, there's a potential for that to, to be, to feel, you know, more, pertinent right now. Um, but I would say, I would have to say that fear, fear, you know, fear is the underlying um, uh, concern. You know, you have love and then you have fear. And so fear undergirds grief and, and every other, every other um, quality that one mm. might think of. Um, there, for instance, in our crisis support clinic, I know that there are people whose, you know, whose live livelihoods are being impacted. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where are they going to live? Um, how are they going to feed their families? Um, grief um, is is exacerbated by the fact that funerals are happening online. Yeah. Or um, people can't come together and and break bread as they used to. I actually attended my cousin's funeral online at the very beginning of the pandemic, my um, cousin passed away. He was a cop in New York city. He passed away from COVID. Oh. It was a shock. He was so young, mid thirties. 
Um, and so, um, so I attended a funeral on zoom and interestingly enough, you know, there were 75 of us there gathered. I know that if, um, if this had happened in you know pre-pandemic, I don't know if all of us would have gathered. Yeah. All the different cousins. He was like maybe a second or third cousin. I don't know if we all would have come to New York to um, to attend the funeral. So in a, in some ways, it was interesting that this um, this configuration of individuals were able to come together and, and honor him this way. Um, but yeah, there's nothing I think like being able to reach out and touch someone and hold their hands and, and that's not happening. And I think that's of course, very worse, worrisome and, and frightening and frustrating for so many people. It's very sad. Yeah. Uh, Karen, I know, um, new thought in general, uh, science of mind in particular, and, uh, the expression of it, uh, at agape tends to be, uh, an extraordinarily optimistic, uh, vision. Um, we live in a time when uh, people uh, may not be as optimistic about the future. But on the other hand, a lot of people see the possibility of positive transformation coming out of this crisis. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you see it? What do you think can happen? Uh, and what should we do about it? Absolutely. I think this is a time I, I keep hearing the word lately reckoning. This is a reckoning happening. Um, I believe that indeed this is a time of great transformation. This is a great this is a time of of reckoning, yes, but also of of remembering, of recalibrating, resetting. Those are words that I, I love to, to use to apply to this time. It's a time of um, deep um, and vibrant um, and hopeful possibility and potentiality coming into play. Um, and so it's interesting. It's also a time of, um, I find for myself personally that I'm being very creative right now. And I had spoken to my brother several weeks ago and I asked him, well, how are you doing with everything? And he said, he goes, actually, I'm thriving. Yeah. And I, oh my goodness, I'm going to claim that word too, because that's exactly what's happening. And so on one hand, there's this idea that, gosh, so many people are in so much turmoil right now and fear. Um, how could I possibly be thriving? And yet that's what's happening in a way. And when I mentioned this to someone, I said, well, you know, I kind of don't want to blare this from the mountaintop. But this person said to me, well, actually, I like hearing that you're thriving because it's encouraging. It makes mm. me feel that I can thrive too. And so um, I like to say that um, it's not an and or but situation. It's, a, it's not a but situation. It's an and situation in which one can completely be open and, um, and empathetic and caring about what's happening right now in the world. Because these are everything that happens is, is, it feels very real. People, you know, are, are dying. People, yeah. um, are losing homes and family members and jobs and, and there's, and there's so much confusion. And at the same time, something is happening. Something is shifting. People are seeing more clearly what's been going on for, for generations. People are seeing more clearly what's needed. 
that's my hope. Um, you talked about being, you know, extraordinarily optimistic. And so I am extraordinarily optimistic. Um, I just remembered a conversation I had with my prayer partner uh, just yesterday. And um, we both had had uh, visions or dreams or thoughts about being on roller coasters and neither one of us likes the roller coaster. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, and so we hadn't realized this, you know, we've been praying together for about guess, over five years. And so the roller coaster image came up and I said, gosh, you know, my daughter, you know, she loved roller coasters from the time she was a kid, you know, she would throw her arms up in the air and she would, um, and just laugh hysterically. Meanwhile, I clench, you know, I clench the rails. And he commented that he too would, you know, almost throw up when he was in a roller coaster. And I feel like this is the moment to um, to embrace the roller coaster ride. And that's not something <laughs> that I necessarily do willingly. But this is a moment in time in which, gosh, all we really can do is just throw our arms up because things are so topsy turvy. Things seem so crazy, you know. The sky is down, the grass is up, and and um, and we're we've been in for a ride. We are on that roller coaster ride. So maybe if I loosen my grip a little bit and throw my arms up, um, maybe it'll be a little more, a little less scary. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's a great image uh, to end with, and I should say um, this won't be um, posted. Uh, for a little while, but we're actually recording this on the 100th anniversary of uh, the ratification of the 19th Amendment when mm -hmm. women women got the right to vote. Yeah. So uh, I f somehow uh, hearing what you said uh, makes that uh, even more auspicious. Mm -hmm. um, and so we will we will carry that optimistic vision. Uh, with us. Thank you for being with us. It's been a joy. Once again, everybody listening, Karen's book is called Sacred Landscapes of the Soul, Aligning with the Divine Wherever You Are. And I should say probably whenever you are as well. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us, Karen. Um, Good luck with the book and your ongoing work uh, helping people uh, make it through these difficult times. Mm, thank you so much, Phil. It's been a pleasure and a joy to be here. And listeners, um, we, Dennis and I hope that um, we are of, of able to be of service during this time as well. Our archive is filled with uh, more than 200 uh, interviews with spiritual luminaries, very wise people. Please take advantage of it. It's all free. We want to keep it free. So also be mindful that on the homepage, uh, you'll find a button where you can contribute and help make it possible for us to uh, keep it going. Thanks again. Bye, Karen. Bye, Phil. Take good care. <laughs>